Well, we've sort of had a, uh, a mission, mini mission focus a little bit this morning and some of the songs we've sung and hearing from Goodwin and Justine. And really, I want to carry that into the, the message this morning in, in regards to um, mission in the home. And, you know, I, Kempis, Pastor Kempis is on a vacation these couple weeks, and when he asked me to preach, I spent time thinking, praying about what would be helpful, what would be something that... Um, that will be necessary and needed. And, you know, I just became a grandpa last year. And uh, having a second one uh, is due in October as well. And we're very excited about that. But being a grandparent really caused me to, to pause and think more. And to think especially about children. And to think especially not just about uh, my children and their children, but, but the next generation. And I felt that, that it would be appropriate because as I was thinking about the next generation, I, I'm concerned. I don't know about you, but, but I have great concern. Um, as I thought about our culture today, as I thought about the so-called Christian culture today, about churches today, and that next generation, I, I'm burdened. Uh, Judges 2.10 is one of those texts that just haunts parents uh, it talks about the generation after Joshua. When, when he and his generation died off, Judges 2.10 says, There arose another generation after them who did not know the Lord, nor yet the work which he had done for Israel. And we here in the U.S. are in danger of fulfilling that same event. If you look at most surveys, most recent surveys that have come out, um, almost all of them show or reveal that at least 75% of the youth after high school leave the church. For some surveys, that number is even higher. That's a shocking exodus. Three out of every four kids. These are evangelical, conservative churches like ours. And we are a church not immune to that statistic either. Sadly, many here have walked away. So the need for mission-minded homes, the need for mission-minded families, the need for a mission-minded church is as great today as it has ever been. It is as necessary today and needed today as it has ever been. And even though this morning I'm going to direct a lot of attention to parents, let me remind all of us, this matters to all of us here. This matters whether or not you still have kids under your roof. This matters whether you have kids at all. This matters... If you are a part of the body of Christ, because we all have a responsibility to the next generation, do we not? In fact, brothers and sisters, our first mission field is our kids. Here, that's our first mission field. Certainly we are to proclaim the gospel in our communities and around the earth, but the first place it has to happen is in the home. And here. But how do we get there? How do we as parents and grandparents and future parents, aunts and uncles, fellow saints of those who have children, how do we cultivate mission-minded homes here at Calvary Bible Church? Well, that's what I want to talk about this morning. This morning I want us to look at three ways to do that, three ways to cultivate a mission-minded home. And the first way is that it begins with parents. A mission-minded home begins with mission-minded parents. And we see this principle in in probably the most foundational parenting text in the Bible. That's in Deuteronomy 6. So if you could please turn to Deuteronomy 6. We're going to look at a few passages that I think will be familiar to you, but it's important that we glean 
from those texts and be reminded of some key principles and how we can foster and cultivate mission-minded homes. This text in Deuteronomy 6, it was a part of a sermon preached by Moses to the people of Israel as they were entering into the promised land. This was the next generation of those who had been raised. Those were the children who come out of the wilderness. Their parents had died off and their grandparents. And Moses, after he repeats, recites the ten words, the ten commandments, in Deuteronomy chapter 5, he comes to this statement in Deuteronomy 6, beginning in verse 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. These words which I am commanding you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your sons and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise up. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontals on your forehead. You shall walk or write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. You know, many books and articles and sermons, uh, radio programs that you'll hear on Christian parenting will often refer to or quote this passage or, or talk about it. And often what happens is you hear that this idea, you shall diligently teach. You know, that's where often these uh, sermons or messages or, or articles begin. They cite that passage in verse 7. But notice, that's not where Moses began. He began his parenting instruction back in verse 4. We made the grand statement, the Shema, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And then he says these words, and this is where he begins his parenting instruction. You, and who's he speaking to here? Who's he speaking to here? Parents. You, parents, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. We can't miss this point. Moses' parenting instruction is first given to parents to give attention to themselves. Listen, this is critical. If you you don't get anything else this morning, it's vital you understand this. And I'm bringing it up at the beginning of the message when, when all of you are awake right now, okay? This is so important. Before we concentrate on our children, we have to concentrate on ourselves. Before we instruct our kids on what God says for them to do, we need to look at ourselves and take heed of what does he say for us to do. As verse 6 says, his words need to be on our heart. We see the same thing just a couple of chapters earlier in Deuteronomy 4, verse 9. Moses is again speaking to parents here. He says, only give heed to yourself and keep your soul diligently so that you do not forget the things which your eyes have seen and they do not depart from your heart all the days of your life. And then make them known to your sons and listen, grandparents, to your grandsons. Parenting isn't done when your kids move on from your home. Moses here is speaking to parents and grandparents. Say, we all have a responsibility to keep our souls diligently, to live for him, to, to love him with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength, and then make these things known to our sons, our grandsons, and of course, daughters and granddaughters. See, good parenting begins with this, good parents. Christian parenting begins with Christian parents. Parents who love and worship the Lord Jesus Christ. Parents who desire to know Him from His Word. Parents who desire to obey Him and follow what His Word expresses. Parents who depend on His Spirit 
to live a life that is pleasing to him. That's where parenting begins. You don't start with the instruction and kid focus. You start with the parent focus. So important. There's a great little pamphlet that J.C. Ryle wrote called Duties of Parents. I think you can get it online. Duties of Parents. He said this. To give children good instruction and a bad example is but beckoning to them with the head to show them the way to heaven while we take them by the hand and lead them on the way to hell. Sobering. But he's right. Effective parenting takes place when parents are first devoted to the Lord Jesus Christ and His Word. So before focusing on how your child is doing in their obedience to you, consider how are you doing in obedience to Him? It is then and only then where parenting can begin. And that's where Moses, in verse 7, then speaks forth. After he gives that exhortation to parents, he gives the practical parenting instruction in verse 7 where we see the details. Moses says, you shall teach them diligently to your sons. And there that word diligently is uh, literally in Hebrew, repeat. Essentially saying, repeat over and over to your kid. Now those of you who are parents, you totally get what Moses is saying here, right? <laughs> but the problem is sometimes we, we think, well, I, I've told you that. You still did it again. Or how many times do I have to, you know, stop yourself and recite in your mind Deuteronomy 6. Teach them diligently. Repeat over and over. This is a process. It is not a one and done sort of parenting. And notice he says there you should teach them. What is the them that he's referring to? Well, if you go back to verse 6, it says to teach diligently these words. And these words come from verses 4 and 5 specifically. And by extension, chapter 5 as well. But where he says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and strength. That is the them that we are to teach diligently, to repeat over and over. The goal of our instruction is to repeat and encourage and instruct over and over and over again. To love God, to worship Him, that He is the center of our lives. He's the reason for being. Brothers and sisters, let me encourage you with this. Again, this is... Something, just take this away from the time this morning. Don't focus on being a successful parent. Focus on being a faithful one. The results aren't up to us, are they? They're up to the Lord. He is the one who moves and shapes and opens hearts, right? That He did that for Lydia and Philippi. He opened her heart to understand and receive the gospel. But by no means does that excuse us. And in fact, it encourages us all the more to be faithful parents, to show them, teach them, help them see what does it look like? Why are we here? Don't focus on being a successful parent. Focus on being a faithful one. Never stop pointing them to Christ. In verses 7 to 9, Moses lays out some practical instruction on how we can do that. And here we see in the middle of verse 7, he begins to say, when you sit down with them, that refers to a formal time and instruction. You need to have regular times where you sit together as a family and look at the Word together. I know this is not easy. I know this is difficult. I know this is a culture that doesn't encourage those times of just stopping and spending time with one another like that. But at least, please, parents, dads especially, Make that a priority in your home, at least a few times a week. 
I know as they get older, it gets more difficult. Kids begin to build relationships and have activities and things like that. But, but don't give up. Make it a priority. And don't, you don't need to prepare long sermons. Um, I learned that the hard way. I, I failed at this point, and, and believe me, uh, my kids can tell you that, but they don't have to be long. Let me just give you maybe a simple, uh, simple practical plan for family devotion. Something like this. Just start with a short prayer together. Sing a song or two together. We have some hymnals in our home, so we, we just grab those and sing a couple of songs with one another. And then we read the Bible, or if they're young, a Bible story together. And then here's what you need to do. Again, you don't need to prepare a four-point outline with all the illustrations and introductions and all that. But do this. Focus attention. What does this passage say about God? What do we see about the Lord from this passage or about people? Just ask a couple of questions or focus their attention on that. What does this story tell us about God? And then close in prayer together. Don't force your kids to pray and but you can offer if they want. And again, have a time limit, especially for little ones. And listen, start this when they're young. Start this before they can talk. Start this before they can walk. Start this before they even understand. Why? Because it'll help you build a habit. Don't wait till a two or three or four years old and say, okay, now they understand. Now we can start. No, start early. Start early. Second Timothy 3.15, remember it says there that Timothy, from childhood, and the word there for child is usually infancy. He was taught the scriptures by his mother and his grandmother. And because of their faithfulness, God used his word, it says in 2 Timothy 3.15, to bring about the wisdom that led Timothy to salvation. And so, start early. Read those Bible stories with your toddlers and babies And make sure, too, as you read through them, focus attention on God. Not a lot of the Bible stories will do that. They'll talk about Noah's Ark, the cute little animals and stuff. But you know, Noah, that story is not a cute story. (laughs) Is it? It's about the wrath of God being poured out. So that's a story. We don't, look at the little boats. No, you know, (laughs) this was a, a sad day because... People have rebelled so much against God that he brought judgment. But that shows us that God is holy and that if we don't obey him, that that he gets angry, that he is grieved. Teach them about God. And again, as I said earlier, as your kids get older, this is harder to do. So dads, I would encourage you, and again, talking dads specifically, Make one-on-one time with your older kids. Schedule it and then keep that schedule. Spend time with them, talking about things going on in their life, praying with them, uh, reading a book together or talking about passages together, but make a consistent time with them. Okay? Moses isn't saying here that you must meet every single day for 45 minutes a day, and if not, you're in deep, terrible sin. But what he's saying here is to make a consistent, formal time where you sit down together. And that can be as a family, but also individually with your kids. Make a plan, dads, and stick with the plan. And if you're a mom, if there's not a dad in the picture or dad who doesn't know the Lord, ladies, you, you can make this a priority as well in your home. But dads... Make a plan, stick to it, and don't let it slip because before long, your kids are grown up. Those of you whose kids are grown up, you know what I'm talking about, right? You still, we still picture them, these little, 
Little guys, now now my kids are pregnant. Having babies of their own. I'm like, what happened? You were a baby. You're still my baby. Right? They grow up before you know it. So start now. Start now. Make a plan and stick to it. Going back to Deuteronomy 6, notice that our instruction is not just in a formal setting. Don't think, hey, I'm having my family devotions. I've, I've taken care of business here. It's not just those formal times. But notice that Moses talks more about the informal ones. When you lie down and when you rise up. When you walk by the way, he says, the rest of verse 7. That means when, when you are together. When you are with your kids, take opportunities in the midst of life, in the circumstances of life, when they get up in the morning, when they go to bed, when they're out and about. Take all those moments to focus attention on who God is, what he has done, on the focus and reason why we are here, to love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, and strength. Look for ways throughout the week to bring God into your conversations. Look for opportunities to pray together. Look for ways to tell your kids about what God is doing in your life. Connect life situations to things of the Lord. You know, when they were, when our kids were, were really small, we would, we would often, as we were, excuse me, driving, kind of point to things outside and say, you know, who made those trees? And I remember a time we saw this beautiful rainbow. Who made that? Where'd that come from? We're at the zoo. We're talking about the animals. Who made the animal? What does that show about God? He'd make an animal like that. Just simple things in life. When they're going through problems and difficulties, do you bring them to the things of God? Do you take them to the Word? And we'll talk about uh, next week at the Q&A. If you have questions, what does that look like? How do we do that? Um, bring your questions uh, next week, next Sunday. and We'll try to at least give you some things that insights that that we have been given over the years and and let me just say this you know preaching a sermon like this it's always scary because we did not arrive we are not the perfect parents my children are here to give testimony that they'll tell you yeah well my dad said that but we never really did that in our house well don't ask them though okay no but these are just things that we tried to do or things that i wish we had done just in looking back those of you who are on the early side of this Take advantage of this opportunity. Really think about where you're at in your parenting. Those of you who are in the middle of it, with your kids who are uh, school, uh, elementary school ages or beyond, you still have opportunity to make impact. Those of you who are grandparents, whose kids are, are out of your home, or, or you're not grandparents yet, but you still have opportunity to make impact. And those of you who don't have children, you too are a significant part of their lives. There are many kids around here. And it's not just the parents that need to be inputting into their lives or showing them who Christ is. All of us need to participate in this. Oh, that's their kids. I don't need to worry about it. That's their responsibility. No, it's all of us. Primarily the parents. But the church, right? The church is so important. Back to what Moses was saying in Deuteronomy. What we talked about. Let me ask you, parents, Grandparents, the last few weeks, how many in-the-moment conversations did you have about the Lord with your kid or your grandkid, your nephew, niece? If you love God with all your heart, then isn't he who you're going to want to talk about? You see, children, this is an encouragement, but it's also scary. Children will gain a passion for what you are passionate about. 
Jim, what school do all your kids root for football games? I'm guilty of it too, right? We have a passion for the Bruins, right? So naturally, our kid, and that's a godly thing, actually. That's, that's not a bad thing. <laughs> Certain other schools. Um, no, but, but they do. They gain a passion, usually, for what we're excited about. And it's okay to be excited about those things, but, but do they see a passion for Christ? Your children need to catch a passion from him, for him from you. When you're consumed with Christ, when you're consumed with his mission, that is the foundation of a mission-minded home. And you will not have a mission-minded home if that is not your first priority as parents. So that begins there. Mission-minded home begins with mission-minded parents. Secondly, a mission-minded home has the right parenting goal. It has the right parenting goal. And that's an important question to, to ask yourselves. What, what is your parenting goal? What are you aiming at? Again, not in theory or not what you want to be aiming at. What are you aiming at in practice? What do things actually look like in your home? What is the real priority as seen by how you spend your time with them? And to identify the right parenting goal, I want to take us to another foundational parenting text in Psalm 78. Psalm chapter 78. Here Asaph writes about uh, Israel's history. He describes uh, uh, many uh, acts of rebellion against God and their lack of faith, despite the fact God showed his mercy and kindness and grace upon them, not just in the wilderness, but, but throughout the many generations. But Asaph, he doesn't write Psalm 78 as a, an historical assessment or a history lesson about Israel. He writes Psalm 78 as a warning and an exhortation to parents. Look at verse 1 with me in Psalm 78. Listen, O my God, to my, or my people, to my instruction. Incline your ears to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth in a parable. I will utter dark sayings of old, which we have heard and known, and our fathers have told us. We will not conceal them from their children, but tell to the generation to come the praises of the Lord and his strength and his wondrous works that he has done. For he established a testimony in Jacob. And appointed a law in Israel, which he commanded our fathers, that they should teach them to their children. That the generation to come might know that even the children yet to be born, that they may arise and tell them to their children. That they should put their confidence in God and not forget the works of God, but keep his commandments. And not be like their fathers, a stubborn and rebellious generation. A generation that did not prepare its heart and whose spirit was not faithful to God. Do you see Asaph's concern here? We just saw it in verse 8. His concern is that we, they not raise a generation that looks like what happened in previous ones in their history. That they, they not raise a generation that we rebellious and be against God and not trust Him. And so he appeals to parents here. And his appeal in verses 1 to 4 that they would teach their children about God and instruct them from His Word and tell them about what God has done. And notice the goal of that instruction. Look at the end of verse 5. That they, and that is their children, speaking to parents, that they should teach the truths about God to their children, that they may arise and tell the same to their children. You see the succession here? Generation after generation after generation. There's multiple generations that he's talking about here. And notice, beginning of verse 7, he gives the ultimate purpose of that instruction, of instructing them in what God has done, who he is, what he is like. Look at the beginning of verse 7. The goal is that they should, what is it? That they would put their 
confidence in God. That is their trust, their hope, their dependence, their loyalty, their belief. That's it. There it is. There's the goal of parenting right there. I just saved you a bunch of money on a bunch of parenting books. It is simply this, brothers and sisters, to teach your children, to instruct them in word and in deed who God is, what He has done, His wondrous works, what He has said in His word. Teach them these things with the ultimate goal that they would put their confidence in Him. Now again, it's not saying here any guarantees, but this is the goal of parenting. We're focusing on being faithful parents, right? Faithful parents. Yet there are so many who give little, if any, spiritual nourishment to their kids. Perhaps, and I don't know all the reasons, but perhaps because of laziness, perhaps because of lack of concern, perhaps because they're just caught up in so many other things. Perhaps it's the attitude, well, I can't save my kid anyway. God is sovereign over their hearts. I I can't bring salvation to them. And so some parents just say, you know, they need to decide for themselves. I think some parents don't really believe the Bible can change their lives. Then you have parents who are on the other side of that, who who treat the Bible as this sort of a a rule book and and that there's this whole uh, rule structure that they must be obedient to, thinking that, you know, if my child just keeps all of these rules and all these instructions, then they will turn out right. Then they will follow God. So you have on one side those controlling deterministic parents and on the other side the abdicating passive ones. But listen, both extremes miss the point. Both extremes miss the point. The first, the controlling parent produces a hypocrite. The second, a passive one, produces a rebel. Neither extreme has the right goal. Neither one addresses the child's real and greatest need. Neither extreme is training and trusting and instructing and modeling for their children to put their confidence in God. So again, parents, let me ask you, what is the aim of your parenting? Grandparents, do you have a goal when you spend time with your grandkids? Aunts and uncles, brothers and sisters of those who have children here. Look, here's here's what he's saying here in this psalm. Essentially this, make Christ known to your child so that your child would come to know Christ. Paul said in Ephesians 6, 4, bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord, referring there to Jesus. It's to be of Him, in Him, through Him, for Him, by Him. That's the focus. Your child's greatest need is not a successful career. It's not a good education. Your child's greatest need is not to have this productive life. Your child's greatest need is not to be a good person. Your goal can't be to make sure they're moral and grow up not using drugs or or drinking alcohol or, or having immorality, being impure before marriage. That's not your goal. Those are good things. They need to be encouraged. But that's not your ultimate goal. Do you know why? Because there are lots of moral people in hell. There are lots of people who've never used drugs, who've never had premarital sex, There are lots of people in damnation who have never been arrested. There are lots of people suffering who are successful in this life. It can't be your goal to, you know what, if I can just get my kid through these 18 years or 20 years or whatever, and they don't get caught up in drugs or the bad crowd or whatever, I've I've been successful. No, you haven't. Again, those are good things to keep... 
keep in front of them. But that's not your ultimate goal. It's your ultimate goal that they would put their confidence in Christ as you bring him before them in both word and deed. Your child's greatest need is what? It's Jesus, right? All of us. It's all our greatest need is Jesus Christ. Does your parenting truly reflect that? Does your grandparenting truly, truly reflect that? Yes, enjoy your grandkids. Spoil them. That's okay. There's a Bible verse in there somewhere on that one. I'll find it. But don't forget, in that time with them, you too, as Moses encouraged and exhorted grandparents to make these things known, to instruct your grandsons, your granddaughters. And I think aunts and uncles and and others in the body of Christ by extension, it is all, again, our first mission field is the kids here. And it's interesting, I've... I've read a lot of books on uh, youth ministry. You know, I was involved in youth ministry here for several years. So I read a lot of books that, that talked about, you know, and all of them talk about this current trend of, of youth, you know, exiting the church and after they go to high school, after they're done with high school. You know, all these books, they talk about ways to fix the problem. And some of them have helpful suggestions, you know, about having a stronger small group ministry, about, about being more intent, intent, intention, intentional, sorry, uh, at, at um, like uh, retreats or uh, camps or stuff, stuff like that, or having more parenting classes or having more mature Christians that are involved in youth ministry. Or some books just say, you know, youth ministry is a problem itself. Just get rid of it. What I found interesting, and I haven't read all the books on this, but the many that I read, none of them actually address the real problem. Again, they all had helpful suggestions, but I don't recall any of them addressing the real problem and discussing the real solution. Why is it that kids leave the church? They don't know Christ. Why would they want to spend time with with his people if they don't know him? They don't know Jesus. They're not walking away from the church. They're walking away from Christ. So what's the answer, brothers and sisters? What's their greatest need? They need to hear the gospel. They need to hear about the work and person of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I'm talking here about in the home and in the church. They need to see and hear and understand who Jesus is and what he has done. Again, they're our first mission field. But I'm afraid our coming generation of parents... So busy, so distracted. It's difficult to have a gospel-focused home, and often that's taking a back seat to so many other things. To, to entertainment, to hobbies, to sports, to music lessons, to education, to homework, perhaps your own busyness. Look, we don't parent for this life only. Right? The time we have here is just a It's a dot on an infinite line. It's a vapor. We don't parent for this life only. We parent for the next. I mean, look, you know, of all the stuff that I hope for my kids, the one thing that really matters to me, the only thing that really matters to me is that they know and love Jesus. That's it. I don't care if they're successful in this life. I I don't care where they go to school or if they go to school. I don't care if they have a lot of money or a little. I don't care if they... It doesn't matter to me. What matters to me most is that that I'm going to see them when I'm in heaven. 
And I'm sure that echoes what most of you are in your own hearts. But let me ask you again, does, does your parenting reflect that? Or have you let life take control? Again, I'm not downplaying education and sports and music and those things. Our kids were involved in those to various degrees. But when they get in front of or become a distraction to focusing on the Lord Jesus Christ in your home because you just don't have time, that's a problem. And some of you parents need to really be thinking about this. They may be very good in a particular subject or musical instrument or sport or but have they been shown Jesus Christ on a day-to-day basis and instructed about Him? Yes, we can't save our children. I get that. I know that. (laughs) For any of us, it's only by the grace of God, right? For by grace you're saved through faith. It's not of yourselves. It's not of parents or grandparents or anyone else. It's a gift of God. Not a result of works that no one should boast. I understand that. But look... You as parents especially, you are a means. They're going to see what God looks like through you. They're going to see what it looks like to follow Him through you. How do you respond when hard times come? What sort of example have they seen and how you respond to difficulties? Trust in Him or turning to something else? What have they seen in terms of priority in your home? Do they hear about God very much or only in... Mealtime prayer. Again, God is sovereign in salvation, but He uses means, and the means is the gospel. They they need to hear and see the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And you have the opportunity over a course of years, years, to do that. What other relationship do you have in your life where you have that sort of influence and opportunity? It's amazing. So teach them about the God who made them, about His love, His goodness, His compassion, His justice, His holiness, His righteousness. Teach them why they are here. Revelation 4.11 says this, You are worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power, for You have created all things, and for Your pleasure they are and were created. Secondly, teach your kids about themselves. Teach them that, that the Bible says all of us are sinners, Right? From birth. Teach them that they are a sinner. Romans 3.10 says very clearly, there's none righteous, not even one, all of sin. And that includes your kids. That includes that cute little one that says all those funny little words and and walks so cutely and all. I don't have to tell you, some of you young parents are smiling because you realize how the shock, this little kid's a rebel. He doesn't want to do what I'm telling him to do. And younger parents, that, that doesn't change, by the way. It gets more fun. All right, we're all that way. So make sure your kids understand. There are a lot of kids growing up today that don't believe this. That they are, in their hearts, a rebel against God. And thirdly, teach them about the solution. Look, if they don't understand that they're a sinner in need of a Savior, then presenting a Savior to them will be of no consequence. They won't care. Right? How many of you, for example, what do we go to the ER room for? To get a tour of the hospital? How many of you have been to the ER room just because, you know, I don't have anything to do today. I'm going to go down to the emergency room and just kind of hang out. 
No, you, you go there when you recognize a need, right? And you're desperate at that point. So you go to the emergency room. I remember when I, my appendix was flaring up. Man, it was all I could do to get there. Get this thing out of me. This hurts. I had a need. If your child doesn't understand that he or she is a sinner before God deserving his punishment and judgment, they're not going to go to the ER. They're not going to seek a doctor. They're not going to look for a savior. Because they don't think there's a problem. So teach them about that savior as well. Show them Jesus. Bring him up often. Take your little one to the foot of Christ. Bring your child to the master. Romans, or excuse me, Acts 4.12 says there is salvation in no one else. There is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. And they need to understand that. And not just kids, right? This isn't just a message for children. All of us need to understand. You may be here, I don't know, visiting or, or a new person, or maybe you've been coming here a while. You need to make sure you embrace this message as well and, and have put your trust in the Lord Jesus Christ and recognize that you and I, are, we are sinners before God. We've rebelled against Him. Maybe not in every way, but in many ways. And there is a reckoning. There is an account. God is holy and just, and he will deal with sin. And you will not be able to stand before him based on the good things you have done. Well, I'm not that bad. No, there's only one way, only one person. It's the Lord Jesus Christ that can bring you to the Father, holy and righteous and pure because of what he did on the cross. So that's a message we need to... Proclaim often to our kids, but also we need to ourselves recognize and remember that's the only way that we can come to know Him. That we can be right before God. And fourthly, in line with that, teach your kids about repentance and faith. What does it look like to believe? What does it mean to turn from your sin? Look, if you don't talk about sin, they're not going to understand. That's what they need to turn from by God's grace. What is true repentance? What is true faith? It is to believe in Him, trust in Him, to commit to follow Him for the rest of your days, to commit to and desire to turn away from sin and live for Him. And fifthly, parents, teach them of grace. Again, we have talked about that. Teach them you can't earn this on your own. By keeping all these rules doesn't mean that you're going to be saved, that God is only pleased if you keep these rules. In fact... This is why, parents, you need to hold them to a standard. You need to hold them to obedience because they need to see that they can't keep all those rules. It's impossible. We're going to talk more about that next week. Do I hold my child to to obedience? If so, why and how? We'll talk more about that. In his book, Successful Christian Parenting, John MacArthur writes this, Your top priority as a parent is to be an evangelist in your home. As believing parents, you are the first and most important preachers God has given them. You have a better opportunity than anyone to help frame what they know about Christ. Again, he's right. And sixthly this, you know what? Teach them the value and priority and purpose of the local church. It is the bride of Christ. What does your example teach them about the local church? 
Do they see it as just a Sunday morning activity or as part of a social calendar? Or do they see a, a commitment that you have to the people of God, not just on Sundays? Now, some may be thinking at this point, okay, I, I get that my, my child needs the gospel above everything else, that, that I really need to focus on having a gospel center, a mission-minded home. But what does that look like day to day? And here's the big question. How do I do that in the midst of this world, this culture? Right? What about the outside world and all the influences? You know, I see so many Christian parents struggle with this. My wife and I have struggled with it. How much do we let our children be exposed to the world? What do we allow them to do? What do we restrict? Should we let them do this activity, hang out with those kids, listen to that music, watch that movie, read those books? And what about education? Public school, homeschool, Christian school, no school, school of hard knocks. What about social media? Texting, Facebook, Instagram, Snapchat, and probably many others I don't even know about. What about iPods and iPads and and cellular phones and video games? I mean, it goes on and on, doesn't it? It's a it's an avalanche of issues from the world. How do we navigate through all these things? How do we cultivate a mission-minded home in the midst of living here in this place, especially here in Southern California? Well, that brings us to our third and last point this morning. It, a mission-minded home raises child, children redemptively. A mission-minded home raises children redemptively. Let me explain what I mean. And, and in this, I want to express my gratitude to Paul Tripp on his book, Age of Opportunity. He, he talks about some of the principles we're going to be looking at here. And uh, Pastor Kempis is doing a, a dad's small group for dads going through that book together. So dads, I would encourage you, exhort you to be a part of that. I think it's starting up pretty soon. Uh, it's going to be a weekly thing just going through the summer. Make sure to participate. But when it comes to the issue of addressing uh, uh, our children in the world, I want you to picture in your mind a pendulum. Okay, it swings from one end to the other, right? This has a limited focus and it's swinging. So I want you to think about that pendulum. And one side represents what, what we're going to call incorporation parenting. And the other side represents what we're going to call isolation parenting. Okay, those usually are the, the two extremes. In incorporation parenting, it's the idea that, that the parents who just give up on trying to hold back the culture. Look, I can't save them. I can't keep them from the world. And so it's just this idea there. They're, they're going to be exposed to everything anyway. I can't stop it. They're going to have to make their own choices. God is sovereign anyway. And so these parents, they give their children few, if any, boundaries. Do you think there's any danger with doing that? Let me just give you three things to consider. First, Scripture teaches, again, we are born in sin, right? Foolishness is bound up in the heart of a child. So what's going to happen if a child is consistently exposed to sinful temptation with little or no boundaries? Secondly, the Bible warns us, don't intentionally feed our flesh. It says in Romans 13, 14, make no provision for the flesh in regards to its lusts. 1 Peter 2, 11 says to abstain from fleshly lusts. And so the continual feeding of the flesh builds up sinful appetites. And believe me, those appetites will not move your child toward the cross. They will drive him away from it. And third, incorporation parenting. The incorporation parent who gives little or no boundaries dooms their child to many hard lessons in this life. 
School of Hard Knocks. Proverbs 22.3 says, The prudent sees evil and hides himself, but the naive, the one who's been untaught, he goes on and is punished for it. Proverbs is full of examples. You remember Eli, right? Eli the judge and judges. He practiced incorporation parenting. 1 Samuel 3.13, God said to him, I told Eli that I'm about to judge his house forever for the iniquity which he knew because his sons brought a curse on themselves and he did not rebuke them. He saw what they were doing and he said nothing. And as a result, they perished. Proverbs 23, 6 says, Train up your child in a way he should go. When he is old, he will not turn from it. Again, that passage is not a promise, but it is stating a truism that the path that you set your child upon is likely the one they're going to stay on. That's both an encouragement and a warning. So that's one extreme, the incorporation parent. That's one side of the swinging pendulum. The other side is what we're calling isolation parents. That's the ones who say, I'm going to protect my child from the culture so much so I'm just going to keep them out of it. I don't want them to get sucked in. I must protect them from all the world's influences. And this sounds reasonable, but this can be dangerous if you're not careful. Isolation parenting can lead to a false expectation on the parent's part that if I just keep my child from temptation, we're going to be all right. Then they're not going to sin. Now, what does the Bible have to say about that? Does it say sin is bound up on the circumstances surrounding us? Did Jesus say that it is the events of life that are full of evil and immorality and wickedness? What did Jesus say? Where does sin come from? And the Bible says that our children, that all of us were conceived in sin. So you could put your child, separate them from everything for their entire child existence and not only will they turn out kind of odd but worse is they're still going to struggle with sin anyway it's already inside yes it is important to keep from temptation as best we can i I understand that and again the scriptures encourage that but we have to remember sin comes from their hearts not from their circumstances second isolation parenting can distort the view of god's grace Right? All sinners, or all children are born sinners. They need to be transformed through the power of the Spirit. But isolated children tend to see their sin as not that big of a deal. Especially when they look outside and say, well, look at that guy's sin. Worldly people, they're, they're the sinners. Thirdly, isolation parenting can encourage a works-based mentality. That if I just keep the rules, look good on the outside, my parents are happy with me, I don't get in trouble, then God's pleased. Isolation parenting can foster self-righteousness. Isolated kids can see them as above others. Fifthly, isolation parenting can produce no zeal for the lost. It can breed this idea, and this is where we need to be careful, that, that it is important to be separate from sinners, that my goal is to avoid the world rather than reach it. It's easy for an isolated child to see the world as a minefield never to venture out into rather than a rescue operation for the lost. And sixthly, isolation parenting can bring division within the church. And I have seen this more times than I would care to admit. Church splits have been caused over these issues. Parents completely separating, isolating their kids 
from other families. Okay, I'm talking about the extremes here. The isolation or the incorporation parents. And I think most of us understand we need to avoid those two extremes. And so we see our parenting as, as somewhere swinging in the middle maybe. So maybe leaning one side or the other, but we find ourselves swinging on that pendulum. So is the solution then to just find where's that perfect sweet spot and balance in between? Well, this puts us in a constant struggle, right? Well, what's okay for my kid to do or not to do? Am I moving more towards being uh, being an isolationist or, or an incorporationist? Am I trying to be too controlling, too passive? And you're, you're constantly, right? Parents, you know this almost on a daily basis. You're confronted with these decisions, right? What do I let my kid do? What should they not do? Do I say anything? Do I assert my... What do I do? You with me? Still with me? I know it's getting toward lunchtime, but stick with me here. We seem to be stuck with these two options. Join the world or avoid it. We try to live somewhere between... So this this pendulum becomes maddening at times, (laughs) especially when kids hit teenage years. Oh, my. Right. Well, let me suggest this. I suggest we jump off the pendulum. I suggest that that we change our paradigm. There are not just two options for how to parent in this culture. It is not just join the culture or avoid it. It's not just well, we can join the culture. We can avoid the culture. There's a third option, or we can reach it. We can reach it. A gospel-centered home is focused on that third option. It's what Paul Tripp calls raising our children redemptively. Again, I would commend that book to you. It's it's to foster this mindset that, that our family identity is to reach this culture for Christ, that that's what we're about. You know, deciding what is okay or not okay for our children to do, that is important. And that is part of the parenting process for sure. I get that. It is certainly part of their instruction. But our mission is to make disciples. It's so easy to lose sight of that. It's so easy to get caught up in making these decisions for what is okay or not okay. Do your kids see that this mission to make disciples is the focus of your family? Jesus said in Matthew 5.13, You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt has become tasteless, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. You are the light of the world. Let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. Listen, incorporation parenting dilutes our saltiness. Isolation parenting hides the light. Our children need to grow up seeing that we are here for something much bigger. They need to see that that we're here for more than just figuring out what is okay or not okay. They are here. They need to see what matters most in this life is worshiping Christ. They need to see that, that our priority is His mission. Going back to Deuteronomy 6, they need to see that loving God with all our being, that's why we're here. That's why we've been made. That's the aim of our existence. So parents, let me ask you, are you spending life swinging on the pendulum? That that's the focus of all your energies and discussions and interactions with your kids? Or do you see your role primarily in showing them that we are a family whose goal is to reach the world for Christ? So that begs the question, well, how do you cultivate this kind of a redemptive mindset in your home? Let me just give you a few 
practical suggestions. And again, we can talk more about this in the Q&A. But first, as I've said many times already, your home must be gospel-centered in its instruction and conversation you have with your kids. And secondly, memorize the gospel outline together. Come up with an outline or, or use one that someone else has done. We did that as a family for, for quite a while. We met Sovereign Center, Savior Summons. We talked about just a simple gospel outline. We looked at passages together, memorized them together, and just it talked about it. In fact, it's interesting. We had a child staying with us for about a year when we were doing that. I did it a few times as the kids were growing up. And through that, just going through the gospel outline together, this child realized, you know, I, I don't know Jesus. I need to know him. She recognized, I need to go to the emergency room. Just for us going through the gospel outline together. Let me encourage you to do that. Talk to them when you have opportunity to share about Christ with others. Let them see you share the gospel with others. One thing I'd suggest, uh, we, we only did it a couple of times, but was the kind of, I don't what do we call it, reverse Halloween, where we actually, we brought treats to the other houses. And with that, we brought a little gospel tract or a, a CD. Uh, we had, I think we got some at the church. And so... Um, you know, people were kind of, they're, more, they're very open and welcoming of people knocking on the door on Halloween night, right? That's the one night they'll actually open it and talk to you. And especially if you have something to give them. It's kind of novel and say, you know, I'm just your neighbor here and I wanted to give you this. And, and here's a, a little, little tract or a message that I, that's important to us as a family and we wanted to share with you. And maybe you'll get into a conversation, maybe not. But it's just one little way. Bring your kids with you and do that. And I think a few houses, they actually gave us stuff, too. So, you know, it works out good that way. But also, too, mission-minded home, gospel-centered home, read biographies to them when they're young. Biographies of the saints of old. George Mueller, Hudson Taylor, William Carey, John Patton, so many incredible. Corey Tenboom. Make a habit of listening to biographies together as you're in the car. Pray for missionaries. Adopt a missionary. And... Bring that missionary up. Write letters to them as a family. Pray for the persecuted together. Voice of the Martyrs. Every week I get an email from them on particular individuals who are suffering for Christ around the world. And so, you know, read those with your family. And then pray for, each, pray for those, those people together. Take an active role in the local gospel ministry as a family. We have the deaf-blind ministry that's just over in Highland Park... Muriel, the first service, I asked her, I said, so Muriel, would you appreciate if some families came over just to, to serve there? And she went, oh, man, I don't want anybody coming to help. No. She's like, <laughs> right? So take your family with you. Hope again. That's a ministry that our family participated in together. Children's Hunger Fund. Avenues. These are all things you can bring your kids with you and, and serve together so they, they can see gospel ministry being lived out. Go on a short-term missions trip with your family if you can. We offer usually two or three each year here. Uh, pray about that. Consider that as an opportunity. Believe me, your kid and you will be incredibly impacted when you go to other places on this planet. Again, pray for the lost. Pray for it being a testimony. Ask your children, who are they talking to about the Lord? And they might tell, well, I'm not talking to anybody. That, that's a gospel opportunity with your kid. But then you can ask your child, as we often would, so who, who can I be praying for, for your friends at school, your teachers? It gets them thinking about that. And this I cannot 
emphasize enough, memorize Scripture together, especially when they're younger. Memorize the Word of God together. You know, when they're little, their minds can absorb and, and make it, there's such an impression that can be made on them when they're young. I, a lot of my kids, you know, they, they memorize things when they're little and, and even if they haven't recited or listened to that passage for years, they can rattle it off like that. And I'm sitting there going, what was that passage again? They're blah, 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 blah. Oh, yeah, okay. So It sticks. It sticks. Again, just memorizing the Bible doesn't save them, but what it does is it gives them the Word of God and it's going to be in there. And they may leave your home not knowing the Lord Jesus. But, again, our focus is not successful parenting, it's faithful parenting. And the faithful parent makes sure that their children have not only been exposed to, but, but have been absorbed and understand the Word of God. And then God will do a work through His Word in His time. In His time. But memorization, I think, has been such a helpful thing in our family. And it's, it's good for us, right? It's parents. It's an accountability for us. You spend a lot of time in the car, don't you? Right? If you're in Los Angeles, you probably do. Spend a lot of time. It takes time to get places. Well, why not have some passages on some cards and recite them together as a family instead of having everyone just look on their devices or listen to the radio? Again, a suggestion, but I think this is so helpful. So parents, grandparents, uncles, aunts, future parents, fellow saints, do you you see the kids, do the kids see that, that your Christianity is not just a part of your life, it is your life? Colossians 3, we learned about that. Christ who is our life. What do they see as most important to you? Do they know why they are here? Again, let me challenge you. Let me encourage you. Let me exhort you. Show them a mission. Show them what the purpose is here in life. It's not just to exist. It's not just to survive. It's not just to raise your children so that they can get work and raise their children and then they can retire. And Is that why we're here? To get to retirement? So all the things we would love to do, we're not able to do because our body's just it's hard? Is that why we're here? No, we're on a mission. Your kids need to see that. Show them a mission. Form a family identity that we are here to glorify God and to make Him known. Family identity that is centered on Christ and His mission will not only have an impact on your kids, but also theirs. Some of you are thinking, well, what if my child isn't saved? Am I supposed to treat him like a Christian? I'm supposed to have them evangelize others when they don't even know Christ themselves. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm just saying is, what do they see from you as a priority? What do they see from you in your home as a focus? What do they see from you as a passion? Do they see a home focused on the Lord Jesus Christ and have a mission to live for Him and to proclaim Him? Do they see honoring Christ and living for Him is the most important thing in your family? Do they see the importance of the Word of God by how much you talk about it, how much you memorize it together as a family, how much you look at it and and depend on it to address the issues of life? Do they see a priority for you in gathering with the saints? Are they shown what living and depending on God's grace looks like? The Gospel will do its work in your child's heart as it is proclaimed and lived out by you. And again, yes, they may leave your home not knowing Him. 
They may leave your home not putting their trust in Him. But be faithful. God used in my life the things my dad did when I was young. But I was out of the home before I came to know Him. The same can happen with your kids. When they see you living for Christ and living to reach the culture, that will make an impression on them. Matthew 13, Jesus, uh, He gives several parables. And among them, there are two parables about the kingdom. And one of the parables, he talks about the kingdom's like a treasure that was hidden in a field. And this guy sold everything he could to, to acquire that field, to have that treasure. And then he said right after that, the kingdom of God, it's like this, this pearl that a man went and he sold everything he had and joyfully did so, so he could obtain that pearl. Now, why did they do that? Why did they give up everything with joy? Because they found something more beautiful and precious and valuable, right? So parents and grandparents, what is it that will cause our children to joyfully and gladly give everything up? Give up the entrapments, the pleasures, the wealth, the, the, the sinful pursuits of the world, all the idols. What will cause them to give all that up and joyfully so? When they see the beauty and value and preciousness of Christ. Parents, how is that beauty on display in your home? Is Christ your treasure? Best thing you can do for your kids, make Christ known to them so that they would come to know Christ. Let's pray. Oh Lord, much to think about. Lord, I know as a parent, I'm sure this is probably the case for every parent in here, that there's just a lot of regrets, a lot of things that wished we would have done or done better or or regrets of things that we did do that that shouldn't have Lord I just pray that that Lord we would not leave this room just full of regrets but that you by your word would encourage us today to make changes to have a resolve that we are going to live for Christ love and worship and serve him Lord, that we would be faithful as, as parents. And Lord, as aunts and uncles, as those in the body of Christ that come alongside other families. Lord, that we'd be faithful to, to the next generation. Oh Lord, we thank you that through your Son we can know you. We can be right with you. That we can have the power by your Spirit to live these things out in our lives. I pray, God, you would encourage and motivate and strengthen parents to that end. We pray these things so that the Lord Jesus Christ would be made known in this place. In his name, amen.